Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 131. You've got Chris and Brian, and today we are going to talk about the shoot, move, communicate triangle and our experiences recently practicing that uh, with rifles when it was hot and heat it out. Absolutely. Uh, guys, we had an opportunity to, to get um, six guys on the range, um, moving around with guns, um, engaging targets at different distances, moving around each other. Um, some of this, you know, stuff that I guess some people might call small unit tactics or stuff like that. I don't know, whatever. This is just more about having the kind of that team environment and having guys be able to work together. Um, well, I'll, I'll start this off. Uh, I'll start this entire podcast off with a, a safety brief uh, real quickly. Um, this is not something that you should gather up a group of your buddies and go do if nobody's done it recently from and from a relevancy perspective, recent relevant training in this uh, from somebody. Um, actual professional instruction with actual professional instruction. Uh, it, you know, I was, I was, I was, uh, I'll pick on them. They're getting mad at me. I don't care. Uh, I was in the army 10 years ago. Okay, cool. That's great. Um, but if you haven't done it recently, um, and you're doing it with guys who don't know what they're doing and you weren't the instructor in the army, you were the, the Joe taking the training. Um, there's, there's, there's some theory aspects to it that involve safety as well as what you're trying to accomplish, but the safety aspect of it, the theoreticals actually matter. And, and combine that with the facility. Are you doing this someplace safe? Are you sending rounds downrange effectively into the target or into a safe backstop, if not into the target? Um, and then beyond that, probably as importantly as anything else, you know, we want to contain those rounds, know where every round's going. Um, also, not into people. Uh, when you talk about moving around each other, it's one thing to do buddy movement. It's one thing to do a two-man run through a shoot house or a two-man movement kind of bounding thing. Uh, when you get into to multiple two-man teams, uh, the 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 safety factors need to be enforced just the same, but they become a little bit bigger. So understand those things, um, you know, and and get seek professional, competent, relevant, recent training, um, and then make sure that where you have available to do this to you physically is a safe place to do it. Because yeah. I promise you, if you if you have somebody's property, the farm you go to and shoot on it, somebody's property. The quickest way to lose your place to shoot is to send rounds into the next farm's cow uh, or silo or tractor or, or truck or anywhere or kid. Um, you you know, so be be very, very aware of that. And also be aware, too, if you're on private property, you will draw the attention of the neighbors doing this kind of stuff. So, you know, make sure that you're prepared to have that conversation, whatever it looks like. So, cool. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, we, we started off the night uh, engaging uh, targets, I, I would say, at what I would consider to be relatively close range for a rifle. Uh, we were a little less than 100 yards. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're inside what I would consider close close range. Um, and then, you know, I, I consider that intermediate range thing to be more like the 100, 150, 200 yards out to, say, three, four, 500 yards, whatever it may be, and then yeah. long range beyond <laughs> that. Um, everybody in the group was running some manner of a 5.56 five, gun. If I'm, I'm some 16-inch guns, some 14-inch pin and welded, some some SBRs or or AR pistols. Yeah. I don't think anybody was running an oddball caliber. Um, we had a lot of guys running low-power variables. We've had a lot of guys kind of get away from you know. So we've had some guys try to run the magnifier combos, magnifier dot combos, um, which I think has a place, uh, but it also had its limitations. Um, me and one of the other gentlemen were running a Trichicon ACOG. Still like the optic. Still think it's viable as a general-purpose optic. But I will say that I think the low power variable and the options that the LPVO gives you every time I'm on the range with an LPVO or around LPVOs with something else, 
um, I think I appreciate a little more the LPVO as a as not just a viable choice, but kind of the choice. Unless everything you're doing is inside a structure, um, I think the LPVO is 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 still the way to go to reiterate that. Yeah, it gives you a lot more flexibility. Um, yep. One of the targets was unpainted steel in front of a backstop that ended up being essentially the same color. Yeah, uh, which made it it was a it was a tough shot to make and find the target um, with the naked eye at a hundred. Yeah. Um, it got real challenging to find that same piece of steel at 300. Yep. And that's where having the, the low power variable and being able to, to crank up the magnification. Yeah. Uh, made a significant distance, made a significant difference as we went back in distance. Absolutely. And I, I will throw out, um, you know, kind of a, also a lesson learned, um, two, two different things. Um, number one, a dot optic at those kind of distance is a challenge, but it's more than doable. Number two, a dot optic with a magnifier is doable, but you have to confirm your setup before it's actually time to use it at those kind of distances. Um, I have always said that it doesn't matter where the magnifier is at as long as the dot is zeroed. Um, I, stand, I think I'm standing corrected on that because we had one of our guys who, not that night, but on a previous night, was struggling mightily to hit that plate at 300 yards. We flipped the magnifier out of the way and went hit, 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 hit um, with no magnification. Yeah. Um, if you start getting at distances where parallax becomes a concern, so beyond that 50 or 100 yards where pa parallax can start to eat your lunch, um, the magnifier, you really do need to get the dot centered up in the magnifier if it's not 100 yards and in or 50 yards and in or whatever the limitations of that particular device are. Um, I, I'd never, I don't really think of the dot and magnifier combo still as an intermediate range solution. I still think it is a, as a close in range, 100, 150 yards, where maybe a law enforcement officer can get more information about what needs to happen as far as whether or not he's going to need to shoot the gun or let other people know what's going yeah. on with a magnifier can get a little better information on a situation, not as, as something to give you the opportunity to shoot at long range because it doesn't have a ranging reticle in most cases. Um, and if it does have a ranging reticle, those lower dots may fall into that parallax conversation. Yeah. Um, so the other thing with the magnifier combo is you're taking you know, your two or your four MOA dot and yeah. you're tripling it. Yeah. So now your two MOA dot six inches at a hundred well, but you're tripling um, the target too, though. I mean, everything gets tripled downrange. You're magnifying all of it. So, I mean, I'm not as concerned about that. I, I, I get that. It, it makes it, it makes it coarse. It makes it, yeah. it just makes it weird, quite honestly. Um, but the magnifier dot combo uh, is, I do think it's got a place, and I do think that it can be a budget-friendly option as well. If you've got a good dot optic and you just want to throw an inexpensive Holosun magnifier behind it, it's viable. Um, I don't think it can keep up with the LPVO in any way, shape, or form. Another thing I don't like about it is it's four lenses to keep clean instead of two. So when it starts raining or it's dirty, muddy, whatever, um, not a big fan. Um, a third lesson learned with the uh, applies to the ACOG specifically, um, putting tape on your fiber, fiber optic, optic light yeah. gathering device on top of the ACOG and limiting the amount that it puts in. Um, there are a couple times where that, that was a hot, sunny day. And the sun was out in full force, and at 300 yards, that reticle got was not quite overpowering. Even with the green, was not quite overpowering. But it, it I would have liked to have had it toned down. And I keep forgetting to put my freaking tape back on my ACOG, which I ripped off at one point because it was, you know, heading toward dark, and I didn't need it. So, so be aware of that. And then, like I said, lastly, the LPVOs um, with the with a decent reticle, it just it's a it's a it's I think it's the option at this point. Yeah, I think there were three of us running three days or Aggie Powers. 
if three of you run in that specific optic and, and then, then a couple, couple more run in like voodoos or EO something no, or, the uh the us optics the ts one to sixes or one to eights is that, okay cool deal yep. yeah um you know so and in in the the i will preach again that you know without making this podcast into an optics podcast i, I will just real quickly say the lpvo the quality matters um buying a cheap lpvo is probably going to create more problems than it solves uh, also looking at an LPVO that's at least a 30 millimeter objective lens, preferably or a 30 millimeter tube, 24 millimeter objective lens, or a 28 millimeter tube or objective lens with a 34 millimeter tube is, is an even better option back to that exit pupil yeah. conversation. And if you want to know about exit pupil, Google it or stop it and we'll talk about it. Um, but there's a conversation about that that just makes it easier to see through and to physically use that optic from not perfect position. Yeah. So those are definitely the i think visually some lessons learned doing this for sure i don't think anybody had a failure of their optic and the guys running lpvos had choices so when things got weird they could change it up and make it work better yeah so with the acog you're it, it is what it is it works fine but some other things work finer so yeah so yeah. without beating on optics anymore yeah and the, kind of the reason we're bringing this up um, we changed up the way we maybe normally do this event uh, and we had three um, quarter size steel plates so t 10 by 12 ish um, steel plates that you know 100 were pretty easy um, start searching things back you know after moving around and whatnot yeah. um, become a lot more of a challenge uh, we did not repaint or otherwise decorate the plates nope so they were getting very gray um, and we had three of them with the dungeon master the guy kind of running as a safety yeah slash you know evolution you know manager um, calling out different targets as we were going back. So you had to find the new target um, that you needed to engage. And we did not have, you know, muzzle flashes or movement or anything to help with yeah. that target acquisition, uh, which made it, you know, having something in your op, having an optic that allowed for better definition of what was downrange became important. Yeah. The ability to see better mattered. Um, you know, especially, you know, and I look at, you know, with me, where I'm at right now in life visually, um, with corrective lenses, my vision's at or a little better than 2020. Um, those targets were super, super hard to see with good eyesight. Um, it, and so if you had an optic that wasn't good quality glass, it probably created more problems than it would solve. And if you were running a crappier cheap dot optic or something got dirty and you couldn't keep it clean, it, it would have been a mighty struggle. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, the targets were challenging to the point that when we were discussing where the targets were at um, during our brief, at, and we were doing the brief down at 300 yards, yeah. um, several of the participants were like, there's only two targets down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely an inter interesting night from that perspective. And, and again, you know, we talked a little bit too. We've had some guys that are trained with, um, with Max Velocity. You know, Brian, you've obviously trained with Tactical Response uh, more than a couple times on this specific topic um, with the HRCC stuff. Um, you know, the, one of the things that, that guys that have been in combat, and if you watch some of the video footage and stuff like that, the GoPro stuff coming out of Iraq and Afghanistan, um, especially Afghanistan, um, wh where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? Over and over again, where's that coming from? Where's that guy at? Um, the, the, guys, these are trained soldiers. These are people who have spent, you know, years honing these skills and they're out on the battlefield and they've got live fire coming in. They've got the concussion of the weapon coming at them and all these different things. And it's still difficult for professionals to figure out where it's coming from. So as a cake eating civilian in your first, first shooting, if it's this type of event where you're reacting to some manner of contact, 
that's at any kind of distance, especially in a you know out in in a built up urban environment yeah. or or in a cluttered rural environment. Um, th- th- this could be really ugly, and you start saying, "Oh, well, let's paint targets, you know, contrasting colors, so we can see them," or let's not, and let's figure it out, um, and let's let's make it visually interesting and make it a little more of a challenge. Yeah. Speaking of challenges, <laughs> um, <laughs> this was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, take any wait for your turn to shoot. Um, get on target, make your shots quick, and then get the hell out of the next guy's way so you can move and get away from the threat. You're reacting to a contact as a numerically inferior force. Yeah. So so you're trying to get away from an overwhelming force rather than fight through a smaller force and eliminate it. Um, so there's a doctrine issue there, depending on going from that, you know, this is not AIT. This is not Advanced Infantry Tactics for the Marine Corps or the Army. Uh, this is a small group of guys having to deal with something they don't want to deal with. Yeah, this is this is way more on the reconnaissance side yeah. than on the assaulting side. Yeah, and so you know, or or just Rick Grimes trying to get to terminus and getting ambushed, you know, and you got to work your way through it, whatever. Um, you know, the, so the reality check for this is it's a whole bunch of bounding and it's a lot of short bursts of of movement, but but high exertion. You know, you're up. You know, I'm up. He sees me. I'm down. I think it's the conversation that came up yeah. over and over and over again. Um, sprinting, you know, five to seven yards shouldn't seem like a real big deal, but when you started out prone, you're basically doing the back half of a burpee, running seven yards, and then dropping and doing the front half of a burpee, and then trying to get set up. And then when you start doing that over distances, you know, 200 meters, seven to 10 at a time, or less, hopefully, because yep. it should be less in theory, um, you know, it, it is a ton of physical exertion when you're in kit, um, when you're carrying 40 extra pounds of weight, um, yeah, that kind of thing. And if you don't do work on a regular basis, which all this harkens to the podcast from the previous week as you're hearing this, um, or the the email newsletter from yeah. the previous week as you hear this, um, you know, the, the newsletter talks a lot about doing some hard things every day so that the hard things are a little less hard every day. Uh, I go back, I've said this over and over and over again, Jack Lane on Johnny Carson uh, talks about doing, or, or on Jay Leno, one of their uh, 80-some years old, almost 90 years old, talked about doing 100 deep knee bends every morning. And somebody says, why? And he says, so I can do them tomorrow. Um, you know, Wolfie, our guy here, Wolfie's like, do hard shit today so yeah. you can do hard shit tomorrow. Um, you know, be able to do work, be able to move your body through things, whether they're recreational or whether they're things that need to happen. Um, cardio matters. The, is it zombie land that the first, the first rule? First, first rule of zombies is cardio. It's cardio. It's cardio. Yeah. Um, and as somebody who does not have great cardio endurance, but has pretty decent strength, um, strength is great, but you, you got to have both and, and thank God for Wolfie beating on me, um, because I was sucking enough wind as it was, but it had been a whole lot worse, uh, conditions, high eighties yeah. temperature wise, maybe approaching 90, humid. stupid, humid. I mean, would have been nice for it to start raining and could have been a little less humid if it'd been raining. Um, I think it had just rained everywhere else, but yeah. at the range. Yeah, I don't think the air could have held more water. If it had been raining, it would have held less water. Um, yeah. The rain would have been pulling humidity out of the. It was. It was. It was pretty nasty. Um, it was a wring your shirt out when you're done kind of night. Yeah, so. two or four Ruger rounds would have come apart coming out of the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The air density was there. Um, but anyway, so the conditions were such that you know you're and and your PT is going to matter doing this no matter what because if it's wintertime you're wearing heavier boots and more gear. Um, if it's in between, you know, it still is going to suck. It would have been great to do this in the spring or the fall when it's not quite so horrific, but it's always a good reminder. Um, 
you know, and it's kind of funny because one of our guys has, has opted out of, of this night the last two weeks because it's like, yeah, all I learn is that it sucks. <laughs> and, and since he can shoot, I don't really have an issue with that because he can shoot, move, and communicate. The move part kicks his ass because, you know, the knee issues and whatnot. Um, so definitely this was one of those was like, huh, maybe, maybe he had the right idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, so, um, so the moving part of it, you know, again, I know we beat on you guys, you know, with fitness, but it is fit, fitness will serve you in life a lot of different ways. It will make sure you're around for your grandkids and your great grandkids. Um, you don't think about that when you're young, when you get to my age, you start thinking about, you know, wow, my kids are going to be doing different things. I really want to see what their kids look like and how they end up. Um, it, it, and it allows you to do things that, you know, you may need to do, or you may just want to do. Um, you know, we still do a ton of hiking, a ton of stuff outdoors, um, you know, split firewood occasionally, carry stuff around and whatnot, go camping and whatnot. It's nice to be able to do all those things and not be sucking wind. So yeah, I'll stop beating on the cardio. Um, well, actually the cardio comes back to the shooting too. Yeah. Um, because again, you know, we're trying to make you know, four MOA hits or less yeah. at, you know, 200 yards, um, definitely less than four MOA hits at 300 yards. Yeah. Field, from field uh, positions. From field positions. Yeah. And being able to get down, get stable and yep. be able to stabilize the gun yep. becomes important. You know, if you're, yep. if your muzzle's wobbling around, you know, 20 MOA because you're so out of breath, you're yep. not going to be able to make the shot. Well, yeah. Cause if you can't, yeah, if you can't settle that, well, the other thing too, Normally, in a rested condition, you would wait for your natural respiratory pause to take the shot. Yeah. You can't. When your heart's cranking, you know, 140, you know, or maybe 130 to 160 beats a minute. I won't say 160 because that's almost like panic mode. But like 120, 140 beats a minute, um, you, it, it, your heart is screaming at your brain to, to make your lungs do more work to get more oxygen into your blood to catch up with everything. And so to, if you want to stop and take that pause in your breathing to take the shot. And at 200 yards on a small target, that might be near, that's the necessity yeah. at that point to hold your breath for just an instant. And if you're, if you're in really bad shape, your brain is screaming at you not to stop breathing. And it's a tough thing to ignore. It's, it's somewhat akin to being underwater and your brain's telling you, you need more oxygen. You got to do something. Um, it's that kind of mentality. You don't, and, and in front of your buddies is probably not quite as bad as drowning. But missing the shots in front of your buddies is, still sucks. It's, it's embarrassing yeah. as hell because you're breathing too hard. The other thing is, if it's bad enough and you're in the wrong position, just your blood pressure can make your body move around enough yeah. that, that you can you can muff a shot. You know, And then beyond that, everything about your brain telling you, just just snatch the damn trigger. Don't worry about squeezing it. You don't have time for that crap. Don't, you don't have time to squeeze the trigger. You know, your brain's yelling at it. So the, it, it matters. It, it really does yeah. matter. So, And it was in stark contrast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, communicate. Yeah. Okay. Um, a, a lot of this was being done as, as, as two man teams. Um, some of the theory behind it is, is tries to avoid doing the two man team mentality. Um, and just basically saying, Hey, if there's work that needs to be done, then do the work. Um, and then there's an argument from the military side of things that the two man team is more survivable because you know, you got somebody behind you no matter what. Um, and, and so that you can have the theoretical argument all you want. That's fine. That's something that we, you know, again, we're not going to get into because I think the application of what we're doing matters yep. and you apply different theories to different situations. In in this yep. case, we were treating it as a, we were adapting for safety purposes, um, and probably for some convenience purposes to a two man team mentality around this. Um, some of the movement stuff is someone outside your team telling you, Hey, go, go, go. Um, it's your turn to move. And, and a lot of this is 
we get sucked in as shooters around wanting to do the shooting part of it, but the the what the actual functional aspect of this drill of these drills were were moving. It was it was not that oh I need to shoot that target, shoot that target, shoot that target. It was I need to get out of dodge, get out of dodge, get out of dodge, and the bullets getting sent downrange help my team, my other teammates to move, not necessarily to help me move, but the point yeah. is to move, and to move has to be the communication part of it. You've got to let people know. Whether it's your gun telling the tale that, hey, I'm up, I'm making hits, you know, it's your turn to go. Or whether it's somebody else watching you going, hey, get off, you're getting sucked into the target, get off the sights and go. Um, and we, I think we had good communication from some of the guys like you that have done this enough. Or the other guys that have trained with Max had yeah. no issues vocalizing, you know, you know, Alpha Bravo, Charlie, somebody's got to go, you know, and yelling at the right team yeah. at the right time to move. Um, and then communicating too, keeping everybody across the line so that you can maintain flanks, you can maintain peripherals, you can maintain situational awareness other than just downrange. Yeah. Um, so I think we had some guys intersperse some really good information with ideas around um, the communication of things is also the world communicating with you. What are you taking in through your eyeballs and then sharing with everyone else? Yeah. And that might have been a change in target as well because we were alternating back and forth between different targets. So I noticed people kind of calling that out and making sure that he, the dungeon master called it out, but then everybody else called it out too. So I think to communicate into things is probably, again, like we talked about last time, is just as important a part of this drill, if not more important, than the shooting aspect of it. Yeah, it's something I think we've gotten better at over time. Sure. Because you know, when you train to do gun stuff as an individual, you don't think about communicating. Yep. Other than you know, maybe calling 911 after the shooting's done. Yeah. Um, but in a you know in a team environment, um, it, being able to keep control of all the people yeah um, is super important. Um, being able to make sure that they're not going to do something you don't want them to yeah or cause additional problems by doing the wrong thing yeah because I mean you you could decrease efficacy of a team really quickly by having a two man portion of it a third of the team or twenty five percent of your team as a two man portion of an eight man element do something wrong or get in the wrong position, they could render themselves ineffective. Yeah. And that's, that's a big deal to lose 25% of your fighting force. So um, that was an interesting conversation there. Um, and going back to the individual stuff, you know, there, you still should be communicating. You should still be training to say, you know, no, thank you. I'm not interested. Escalates to stay away from me. Escalates to, you know, stop, stop, you know, escalates to now my gun's in my hand and we have a real conversation. Um, it, but it, it, it's really no different. And communicating under physical stress. I know it's not the same as getting shot at, obviously, but that communicating under physical stress with your team, trying to make sure you're not letting anybody down and doing what needs to happen, I still think is probably pretty good stress inoculation for getting out there in the real world yeah. and being willing to vocalize, you know, hey, stop, stay away, leave me alone, and looking like the good guy for everyone around to see, hey, I told that guy to stay, yeah. The witnesses said he told that guy to stay away from him 10 different times, and the guy had a knife or a pipe and kept coming kind of thing. It's still shoot, move, communicate. Nothing changes. Yep. So um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, we've talked, you know, is there anything to add to communication? Yeah, one of the other things with the, you know, the communication um, is definitely the weapon. Yeah. So knowing and recognizing, have my, have my buddies fired one round? Have they fired two rounds? Have they fired three rounds? Um, if they fired one round, I kind of want to wait for that second one before I get up and go. Yep. To make sure if they've changed mags, the mag is fully seated. Yep. Um, ideally, you know, most time with an AR-15, um, once the second round goes, we know the gun's going to generally be reliable. Yep. Um, 
that that can be an indication just via gunfire that okay they're doing work i can do something else yeah um you know if you got a stoppage be that you're changing mags there's a malfunction yeah um letting your teammates know that becomes important sure um, because now they're expecting you know hey when can i go when can i do the thing i need to do while you're yeah. providing supporting fire yep um also, you know, taking the time, you know, when you're in buddy pairs, as long as, you know, one guy's shooting, the other guy can be doing some administrative stuff, yeah. um, like tactical or tack reloading his yeah. rifle. Yeah. Um, some guys did that. Some guys didn't. Uh, at one point, we had a whole buddy team basically go dry at the same time. Yeah, that was fun uh, to watch. Fortunately, <laughs> they were proned out uh, and kind of waiting while they did that, but it definitely caused a bunch of confusion. Yeah. And, you know, kept the rest of the team on the where they were at for probably thirty seconds longer than we wanted to be. Yep. Yeah, and I would, and that was definitely part of the conversation too. Is you know, it's between just like you're saying between you and your team, you and your buddy, um, knowing what's going on with you and your buddy, um, and, and then being aware of what's going on with the rest of the team as well, and understanding that you know that first initial contact is going to be more rounds than the rifleman's pace as you move back, but still trying to keep that counter going in your brain. Um, you know, I just watched my teammate reload. It's time for us to move. I got no concerns about moving now. We're good to go. Um, you know, versus, wow, we've been shooting for a long time and I've got a moment. I'm going to do that tack reload or that reload with retention or whatever the case may be. Um, and in this case too, you know, we're treating this as quasi civilians. We're not carrying, uh, racks with 12 mags in them or anything like that. There is no resupply there. Travis Haley and Mookie aren't going to call in and beg for help from a little bird from Blackwater to drop off cases of water and ammo as they beat the crap out of the Mahdi guys from 600 meters away. And, you know, in Ramadi, um, it's not happening. You got what you got on you. And that conversation came up a number of times. Um, one of the things that did pop was a, a significant differential between what's being trained to law enforcement versus what's being trained to the military from a perspective of, you know, take a couple shots, assess, and then if I move and I'm moving from point of cover to point of cover to point of cover, because by and large with law enforcement, you're in an urban buildup area, um, unless you're rural law enforcement. And then if you're rural law enforcement, you still have things that are points of cover, like um, you pull into the trailer park to deal with the third domestic at that address in a week. There are cars parked places, there are vehicles, there are structures, there's your vehicle, etc. Um, this is this is movement through open terrain. This is a, a little bit different, a little more military geared, even though, you know, that's just because of where we were doing yeah. it more than anything else. Um, so there was this mentality of, I do not want to reload while I'm moving. I don't want to reload when I'm away from cover. While well, you're laying in the middle of an open field. And so if you stop to reload there, even though you're proned out, you're still not invisible. And maybe you would have been more well served to have reloaded while you were up and moving to the next position because you couldn't be shooting anyway. Um, and that conversation came up and that was a significant paradigm shift for one of our LEO guys. Um, and recognizing that I don't know that I would want to train that scar into him because of what he does for a living every day, but to understand that, you know, there are different applications for different things and understand that and then apply the proper technique and tactic to the situation. So I thought that was a pretty interesting thing that popped up. So, yeah. I don't know that this is, again, this is the, you know, kind of beating the same horse about, you know, what, what we've been doing. It just, we run through this time of year where the days are long and we have access to, you know, to a long range. Um, and we utilize that opportunity at, at, at least once a year to try yeah. and get out there and stretch things out, do the movement. Um, and again, it's, it's that harsh reminder every freaking year that I'm old fat and it's hot out. Um, yeah. and that, and that shooting's not a big deal. Moving and communicating is probably just as hard. 
Yeah, one other thing um, to point out with doing this kind of stuff, you know, we tried to, we didn't really do it in full kit, but we did it in some kit. Yep. So, you know, get out, run with the stuff, actually do, you know, physical exercise and movement and whatnot. Yeah. With the things you think you're going to need, be that war belts, plate carriers, rucksacks, et cetera. Um, all that stuff does have implications for um, how well you can move, how well you can get in and out of positions. Yes. Um, stabilization issues with things like ankles, knees. Yeah. Quick note on that. Quick note on that. Um, yeah, we're old guys. We're beat up. I won't even get into move, movement issues with old guys. Um, war belts specifically. I'm running one of those real big fluffy padded war belts uh, from HSGI that we that we used to carry. Um, I, I love that product. It's a great product, but it 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 one of those things that limits mobility. Some of the guys running a lighter weight inner belt with an outer belt combo, we're a little happier with that. Some guys sticking stuff in their pockets, we're happy with that. Some guys had pants that their pockets wouldn't hang on to max. They weren't happy with yeah. that. If you don't get out and do this stuff, and it's fine to go do it. It's hot out. I don't want to wear my plate carrier today. Okay, cool. If that's if you're a heat casualty issue with a plate carrier on on a day like that because you don't do it, that's cool. Be smart about it. Don't, don't go give yourself a heart attack or a stroke or something like that. Um, but by the same token... If you can manage it, get out and do it because how the how the rucksack strap interfaces with your rifle sling interfaces with the stock of your gun when you're trying to shoot. If you only do it once a year, you don't know what's going to happen. And hope heavenly hope heaven help us if that once a year is when you actually need to be able to do it. It shouldn't be the first time you find out it doesn't work again. Yeah. So yeah, to reiterate. Yeah, along with that, you know, seeing things like glasses, you know, slip because of sweat. Yep. Uh, Magpul, please put rubber things on the inside of your glasses. Yeah, the un- uh, what's the unobtainium in that? What, what, yeah, the, the brand. From, from Le- yeah, yeah, buy, buy the rubber from Oakley that that is impervious to sweat and doesn't let stuff slide off your face. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, you know, we love to practice and time reloads on the square range, standing up. You know, with from our magic mag pocket. Yep. Pouch. Um, do that shit from the prone. Yeah, because uh, it sucks and it changes, you know, where things need to be and how you get to things. Yep. Um, trying to be able to get to every magazine that you might put on your person, um, again from the prone or from a, a goofy kneeling position, tuck that behind cover. Yep. Uh, because stuff like that matters. Yeah, because exposing yourself uh, from behind cover to reload your gun is ill-advised. Um, if you're going to reload behind cover, actually reload behind cover, not kind of behind cover. Um, you know, if you're trying not to get shot, you're going to want to be small. Stay small. Even, even when you train. So, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, man. So, I don't know that I have anything else to add to that. It just felt like we're, like I said, we've, we've done this a little bit. It was a really awesome reminder, um, and it just drove a lot of those lessons home. So, if you if you can get out and do it safely, if you can get out and do it in a safe environment, um, get out and do it. Even if it's one buddy, and if it's four buddies, that's fine. Um, I would still say go take the class first. Go, go, yeah. go, to, go down to Camden. Go to HRCC. Um, look up Max Velocity in West Virginia and go do their one of their small unit tactics classes. Uh, there's a number of different places where you can go do some of this stuff. Make sure it's with somebody that's not playing tactical dress-up band camp. Make sure it's with somebody who's legit who can actually teach you the skills and the theory behind it so you can apply it. Um, and then bring it home and share it with your tribe. It's, it's, it's good information to have. It's fun. It's a hell of a workout um, to boot. And then it's something that, again, I hope the guy will never need it. But to be able to communicate those things and you know set up a hasty team is would be... Yeah. It, uh, hopefully it's never handy, but it might be. Yeah, it sure feels like it could be like tomorrow. So, yeah. Um, on that note, please follow us along on social media. Um, we get information on things like training events and whatnot. That's generally where they get posted first. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram to search for Cap City Outfitters. 
Uh, also, we do an email newsletter that comes out once a week on Fridays. You can sign up for that on our website, capcityoutfitters.com, or send us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com. Uh, on our website, you can find valuable information, such as how to do an FFL transfer, or how to purchase a suppressor via our storefront over at silencershop.com. Uh, lastly, please uh, come visit us in the store. We're in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. We're in front of the Aldi's. Uh, we're directly next to Louis Fusion Grill. Uh, we're here 10 to 5, Tuesday through Saturday, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for tuning in, guys.